So this, this very specifically <laughs> is my point. This is my point. Na 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 na. Hello, boys and girls, and welcome to Bad Voltage Season 3, Episode 35. We are thrilled to have our friend and compadre, Jeremy, Beyonce, Charlene Garcia, back in the fall. How are you doing, Jeremy? How was your uh, little... Oh, ex- extra middle name, because I was out for one episode, I see. That's excellent. You get two at that particular point. <laughs> <laughs> your birth certificate is very confusing, by the way. <laughs> and and ever-growing, ever-changing. <laughs> ever growing so uh yeah how, how was how was the time away did you come back with some unique insight that you can share with us on this show i, I so i did listen i rarely listen to bad voltage by rarely i mean never but i did listen to this one while running the other day and i remember about a year ago uh mr bacon i was sat in your living room we were having a chat about erica listening to the show on her commute sometimes and literally yelling out loud in her vehicle, and I, I was, uh, <laughs> I had some a, a moment of camaraderie there because I think at one point in the middle of the road while running, I was like, "What?" But <laughs> it's, it's difficult to reply two weeks later asynchronously, so I, I'll, I'll give you all a pass. It's, uh, it's got to be even more annoying for you when you know that you can talk to us about this right. stuff. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was interesting hearing a show that I'm usually part of and having a comment, but not being able to make said comment. <laughs> well, um, feel free to contact us on the forum or join our Slack channel. So, <laughs> right. I was honestly a little bit nervous about you getting back because I was going to say to Ak if you if he got on first, like, oh shit, Dad's back now. We're going to be in trouble. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I rem- I meant to when I got back from the run, write down a couple notes so I could, you know, harass you both a little bit right now, and I went ahead and forgot. So, uh, you, you get good. A, you get a pass. Good. Yeah, very Excellent. great. This. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm like John. I'm like Jeremy's back, and you're going to be in trouble. Hey, no, hey, no, Jeremy's back. But fortunately, no. Yeah, exactly. It's like we receive a spreadsheet before we get on, the, on this recording with all of the data about what we were wrong about. Excuse me, so, gentlemen. Uh, here's a pie chart here that I've. <laughs> <you know. laughs> all right, so we're going to do uh, news for the entire show because uh, we like to do that. Um, so do you want to kick off, uh, Mr. Langridge, with something for exciting for us to talk about? Yeah. Now, um, one interesting thing that I read about is, I don't know if you've heard of, uh, now it's officially called, I think, John Gabriel's Greater Internet Fuckwad Theory. Right? <laughs> this is um, the, the guy who draws Penny Arcade, the comic strip, um, oh, yeah, which has yeah. been around for like, 30 years now i think 200 years um uh he originally postulated in um about 2001 or something that um the problem with the internet was anonymity the um the anonymous conversation makes people act worse the reason that people on the internet are basically assholes to one another is because they're anonymous. Now, someone, instead of um, a bunch of people wisely quoting this to one another on social media and going, yeah, you see, we, look, we're all anthropologists now, right? Someone with some standing has actually done some research about this, which um, Gizmodo um, looked at. And it turns out that that's rubbish. People who are assholes online are that way because they're assholes. They are offline as well. So the pro, so the pro, I think, um, when people started talking about this sort of thing, um, early 2000s, late 1990s, whatever, um, and we've all seen, had the same experience talking about how ASCII conversation is entirely stripped of nuance and that's where all the arguments came from and so forth. But really, it appears that what was actually happening was that more people were getting online which means that you were getting to experience more people who wanted to have arguments and act like jerks than you did before. But people confuse that for the internet turns ordinary people into assholes. And that's not the case at all, it turns out. This is a, this is a paper from um, researchers at Aarhus University in uh, Denmark. Um, and they're 
core conclusion is that the internet acts as a massive megaphone for people who just want to make everyone's lives a misery. So I do agree with that one aspect. Did either of you read the entire study? I haven't read the entire paper. So it's it's pretty long. It's almost 50 pages. So I did not read the whole which, thing. Which the, is why I did not read the entire the paper. The first yes. thing I do when I see these studies, though, is I go to the methodology section because it's usually only a page. And I think it usually – and I say usually here, drives to what question they were asking, how they were asking it, and, and how they got to an answer. And the first thing in the methodology portion is, our key dependent variable for testing the change hypothesis is self-reported hostility in online and offline discussions. So they asked people if they were hostile online and offline, which is about the worst methodology I could think of. It doesn't sound great. So I, I I somewhat agree with portions of the study that I read where I agree it does act as a megaphone, but I think they were asking the question in a slightly wrong way, and then their methodology was terrible, enough, bad enough that I don't give the whole thing a lot of credence, personally. I don't know. I mean, um, because the bits that I did read, they look into different hypotheses for why this might happen. And in that, they're explicitly calling back to previous research. So this is not um, a paper which just arrived out of nowhere. They did a bu- and there's a bunch of work done in sort of 2015, 2016, I think, demonstrating that one of the key ways to bring down aggression is empathy, for yeah. example. And, and and that's in this kind of conversation and building off of that. And But um, I think a key driver of empathy is knowing the person. So if, Stuart, you and I were out and you said something mean, I would think to myself, I know Stuart well enough to know that's wildly out of character. Something must be yeah. wrong, or I should ask him if he's okay, or I'm curious yeah. why he would say that. Where if it's a random person, I'm going to think, but that's just because they're an ass. So I, I think to yeah. act like when you're online, I think part of the trigger is the lack of empathy is caused by you're dealing with a whole bunch of strangers. And it's pretty odd in real life to continually deal with a thousand strangers at once in one setting in the way that you would on a forum. So I, yeah. I think that's part of the driver isn't that it's necessarily online. Online just facilitates communication in a different way than in real life. Yeah, no, I've, I wrote down, uh, uh, yeah. So um, they're quoting that social and physical proximity are key triggers of empathy. And I thought that was interesting because, yeah, the the physical proximity one is an important one. It, it's so much easier to have this kind of em- empathic conversation in person. But social proximity is an interesting thought, I think. And that isn't really about social media stuff because that comes from a paper in 1999. So I, w- I wonder as well whether an element of this is the actions of an individual or the actions of someone who's part of a group. Like... I think we've all experienced the people that we went to school with who were fine by themselves, but then when they got in their little group of people, turned into a bunch of dicks. Um, like a lot of kind of bullies were uh, behaved like that. And I, I, it strikes me that a lot of the activity that you see online, it's when, and we've seen this most visibly, of course, with politics, right? Is that people will align themselves with their political party and they'll kind of gang up on people. And, and bully other people because it, there's like that tribal mentality behind it. And I'd be curious about how that, what the role of that is. The, tr- the tricky thing is, is anyone actually a genuine individual when they're communicating online? Because we're all part of some group, right? It, it, um, the, the most instructive thing I've read on that particular thing, the whole tribal division thing, is um, a book called Why We're Polarized by Ezra Klein. Which hmm. I thought was really good on this. Um, um right. And, uh, at least part of his theory on this is that the normal thing goes into reverse. You don't think this is what I think. Which tribe should I join? Which best reflects that? You think this is the tribe I'm part of. Therefore, that conditions what I argue for. Yeah. Yeah. You fit uh, in with a narrative, right? Yeah. And you kind of, huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll buy. And th- th- you know, there's the whole thing that in everyone's head they are immune to propaganda, and they're not like this, but the other people are. <laughs> and then you've been right. you yeah. through this, and you're kind of you know. Uh, so to be clear, people, everyone listening to this, even if you think you are, you are not immune to propaganda. Stop <laughs> thinking yes. that you are. But um, I found it quite insightful. 
uh, to give me a structure for thinking about this stuff. So I would recommend reading that. It's not a particularly long book, and Klein's a good writer, so he's so it's yeah. relatively easy to read. It's not you know full of turgid statistics and what have you. But yeah, and yeah. to to be clear, it's not that I necessarily thought this paper is the be all and end all of um uh arguments on the internet and how we fix it but i think it's an interesting topic to talk about because almost everyone has some experience of this yeah you i wonder whether it swings in the other direction whether the same happens with kind people like you know like how the, there's a general philosophy here that what well, the, 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 this research is saying these people are assholes the entire time and then the internet acts as a bit of a megaphone for them yeah I wonder if people are genuinely empathetic, kind people, whether they then use the internet as a megaphone for that. The optimist in, in me believes that that should be the case, but the pessimist is like... It's more difficult to megaphone that, though, isn't it? Like, Ak is a gen- genuinely lovely human being, but how does he amplify that on Twitter? Where if you're a menace, it's much easier to menace people via social media. There are little things. Um I mean, given that we're, you know, at least partially talking about technology, um, it's interesting how much more effort is put into amplifying. Yeah, we, we've talked before about um, how amplifying things that get clicks or that drive engagement um, is important. And one jolly good way to make people engage is to make them angry about something that you've said. And Out- outrage not, is always uh, yeah. sells. Yeah. And, and everyone going, yeah. yeah, I kind of agree with that. Nice. Is not engagement, so people don't motivate, don't, don't drive for it. But every now and again, I remember, um, and I think we talked about this on the show before. There was um, an app where it gave you a list of your friends, and you, and it gave you a list of like nice things. So it make you pick a person, and then a list of nice stuff. You like that applies to them, and then it would send this to them. They'd know it had come from one of their friends, but not which friend it was. So they, so you get kind of a nice comment that was said about you. You, uh, but you don't have to be embarrassed particularly because someone could could compliment you without them finding out that it was you, which avoids the whole kind of social embarrassment of having done so. Um, it wasn't open to user-generated content, so all the comments were nice, but it was flexible enough that you got a big list of nice stuff you could say and a big list of friends. So it would pop up in the morning and go, John, I have randomly picked Jeremy. Which of these nice things applies about Jeremy? And then, Jeremy, you get a message saying, one of your friends thinks you're really friendly in the mornings or uh, you've always got their back or something like that. And you'd be like, oh, that feels nice. And I think people doing that sort of thing there's loads more you could do with that but there aren't that many people doing it i'm not sure what happened i can't remember the name of the app otherwise i'd look up and find out what i was gonna say i do not remember this app yeah i can't i wish i could remember what happened to it i think we are seeing this happening towards nice people um because and the reason why i say this is that i think we'd all agree that there's been an increase in narcissism driven by social media and if everybody was being mean to each other, it would nip that in the bud pretty quickly. That's one thing. But then the second thing is, I don't know if you guys are seeing this, but I'm wow, seeing a lot of this trend. I wildly disagree with that, but carry on. We'll, we'll come back to that in a second. <laughs> um, but the other thing as well that I'm seeing constantly, and I think this gets in a little bit with the narcissist thing, is people saying, posting something on Facebook or posting something on Twitter and something like that and saying, you know, having a bad day, send pictures of kittens, right? And then a lot of those posts get a shitload of likes and a shitload of pictures of kittens. And which I think is a nice thing, right? Like if someone's having a bad day and they say, I'm having a shitty day, and people basically say, it's basically a virtual pat on the back saying everything's yeah. going to be all right. Um, right. I'm seeing a lot more of that in the last couple of years. So my, I think that is a, an example where like there'll be some people who will be who will go out to be villainous about something. They'll they'll go out to be dicks about something, um, and to deliberately shit on somebody. And I think, yes, those people obviously exist. But I think there's a lot of people by just giving likes and little hearts and um, you know emoji reactions, it's amplifying that kindness thing. And I've no, I've noticed more of that in the last couple of years than I did five six years ago. Hmm. 
And I think some of it is the narcissism thing because frankly, you get that dopamine hit. You do that once. I'm having a shitty day. You get the dopamine hit and all those cat pictures. It's not, I don't think a a, a conspiracy theory that somebody, somebody may think, well, I'm not actually having a bad day today, but quite like another day or i'm having a mildly bad day today mildly bad day but i really liked it when 180 people said i was cool two weeks ago i'll do that again yeah it's one of the reasons why birthdays on facebook are fucking great because everybody says happy birthday to you and it's lovely yeah you know like people love that people love that on on that was genius that facebook okay yes uh, there are i agree with you a whole bunch of people in the world who think it's great to be wished a happy birthday by their pe teacher when they were at school or whatever but fine (laughs) 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 but yeah i don't know i i i again i'm an optimist so take what i say with a pinch of salt (laughs) i yeah i mean as ever with these things there's a whole bunch of stuff which looks okay when you're us and maybe yeah. even if you're not us, but yeah. I mean, I certainly agree with you that I, the idea that people have gone, hey, just do nice things for me today. Yeah. And as long as it doesn't require a great deal of effort on someone's part, to just say, here's like a picture of an amusing thing. Or people posting uh, the phrase timeline cleanser. I've seen shown up a lot where, you know, in the in the midst of this mass of terrible news about politics and climate change, someone's, uh, someone shows you a picture of an extremely fluffy animal thing running down some stairs or something. And you think, <laughs> and, and as much as you want to be cynical about this, you watch it and go, oh, that's it's really nice. nice. I'm, I'm really <laughs> pleased that I saw that thing. Cool. And now yeah. I'm going to smile yeah. for the next 10 minutes, no matter how... how um, Hard bitten, uh, fantasy, cynical disaster you are. You're like, oh, that's just a fox. That's nice. Good. <laughs> yeah. And on that note, any of you, if you're having a bad day, the place you should go is to Reddit and go to the Made Me Smile subreddit. That will brighten anyone's day up. It's fucking brilliant. So I just, I just search for videos of babies laughing on YouTube, which oh. is never going to stop being brilliant in my opinion. Love babies giggling. <laughs> Right. Especially when it's like a guttural giggle as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, we're getting a little mushy right now. All right, let's move on to the hard-nosed cynicism. <laughs> <laughs> hard-nosed cynicism, what's next? Um, I have something. Um, so for many years now, I have been making one prediction that longtime listeners of Bad Voltage will be familiar with, which is a prediction around Facebook spaces. Um, I can't believe And Facebook, this. <laughs> it turns out, um, have created something called Workrooms, which Oof. is a VR environment for people to spend time in. And it got, like, broadly shit on. It did. But, but I, that's I'm assuming, always going to happen with Facebook. I'm assuming your point is not going to be that it's terrible. Your point is that it exists at all, as according to the prophecy. So this, this very specifically <laughs> is my point. This is my point. Na 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 na. I mean, have you seen this thing? It's not good. It's the worst. Um. So I actually solicited the. Uh, I'm going to anonymize this individual. Um. But I've got a a really really good friend of mine. Bob Zuckerberg for, said it was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I've known for years. Who works for a VR company that basically. Ha- they've built um they built fa- facebook workspaces before facebook did it basically um um and he's played with it he's used it and he said it's actually pretty impressive what they've done they've made some some good design choices in what they've in what they've done um there are some problems with it like it's it's like you're literally just kind of sat in one place like one of the things that his company does is where you can kind of bounce around in a virtual space um but the the workspace thing is like being sat in you're like being sat in a chair in a meeting room kind of thing so it's less it of is. a immersive environment he said but they actually did a pretty good job in what they've in what they've built here if you're bought into the idea of being in vr and working with other people so yeah. i can't okay. think of a worse platform to tie your work identity to than than facebook and yeah, well, a, yeah. A, a few of the reviews are, to be clear i have not tried this thing because no 
I'm not interested in the VR part of it. I don't have the hardware. I'm not interested in participating in not as part of VR. I like the fact that I've got legs. I don't want like a 90 CGI cartoon full of people going, don't forget to recycle, kids. Right, the whole thing's terrible. <laughs> so <laughs> I haven't actually tried it. But yeah, very much the impression I get is a whole bunch of people have gone, okay, I tried to use it and couldn't do it. So I had to sign in with Facebook with my account, which was... um. AxeManiac12345 at yahoo.com, which is what hey, I signed up hey. for Facebook with. Share I, my email address. I I was not going to say that that was you, but <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've now it doxed first? yourself. Dude, I was fucking 17 when I picked that. <laughs> but, but this is the point. This is the address you would have signed up to Facebook with. And now you have to go and sell to the UN, signed in as this thing. To be fair, to be fair to Facebook, um, you you do need to sign in with the with your Facebook account on the on the Oculus devices, but they do have an Oculus for Business, which, from what I understand, is exactly the same device that is much more expensive, where you don't have to log in with Facebook. <laughs> wow! So so this is this is the equivalent of you know how business class flights are not actually that much different, but they cost five times as much money. This is just that. It's just a way of exploiting people on expense accounts. Business class flights are totally different. Let's first of all get that clear. <laughs> I, I, but, I, but I agree paying. with you. They're better. I do not know. I do not believe they are as much better as the money implies. Well, I, I, if a six hundred dollar flight was nine hundred dollars business class, I'd be like, that sounds like a good thing. It's not. It's eighteen thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it depends. Obviously, it depends on where you're flying. But yeah, I mean, look. There's no doubt that business class flights are a lot more expensive and everyone's definition of how much more valuable they are, separate question. But yes, but um, I do think it is kind of amusing that people are willing to pay not to log in. With <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I think is the crux of your point, right? I, <laughs> like, do, do we honestly think this is going to go anywhere? I mean, from what I've of seen not. of reviews of it and everything, everyone's gone, ha ha, amusing Facebook avatar stuff. But no one seems to have any intention of really using it for meetings. See, my take on this is the thing that's going to stand in the way of people genuinely using VR at work is got nothing to do with software. It's got everything to do with the hardware. People don't want to sit with a fucking headset on that weighs no. a ton. I think when you have when you have VR glasses that feel like eyeglasses that you put on, they're really lightweight and they're very, very comfortable. I think that it's going to be much more likely to happen. But even the Oculus headsets, they're big, they're bulky, yeah. you get hot, your head sweats. It's weird if you've got a pair of specs on underneath that. I think that's the problem. It's a physics and problem, not a software problem. Plus, it disconnects you from the reality that you're in, in a weird way. So, I, obviously, all three of us are remote workers, so appreciate remote work. I actually yeah. really enjoy office work. I enjoy being in an office. And I'm, on an, I'm in an office probably the most out of out of the three of us. They've almost taken yeah. – this world takes everything that isn't good about being in office and everything that isn't good about being remote and melds them into the worst possible yeah. world. It is wow. the worst case scenario of two reasonable scenarios. <laughs> that should be the that should be the endorsement on the back of the box. It, it, so, um, an analogy to to attempt to explain this. And Jeremy, this might be new to you. Jono, you should know about this. There was a company in the UK called Wimpy, right? Oh, the burger and people. They're, yeah, they're a burger company, and they, they they were first set up in I think the. 60s or the 70s or something like that and you could get a burger and fries and so on but um you'd buy a burger from them and they'd bring it to you on a china plate and you'd eat it with a knife and fork and (laughs) and it was true and it was really slow and you got um uh like cloth serviettes with it and so on and it was like someone in england had seen that americans invented this brilliant concept of fast food but utterly didn't understand the point of it so they took everything that was bad about fast food, plus everything that was bad about eating in English restaurants, and combined them into one thing, because they just fundamentally didn't get the idea. So you get the British restaurant experience, but instead of grouse, you get a mediocre burger. Yeah, exactly. You get a really <laughs> terrible burger. The only good thing about them is that they did egg burgers, which McDonald's don't do. But ignoring that, <laughs> yeah, this, as far as I could tell, it's the wimpy of 
meetings. Why would you want to sit with, like you say, John, with a massive great big helmet on, looking at an incompetently cartoonized version of a fictional workplace <laughs> with people who've obviously had their beards drawn on with eyebrow pencil rather than just ringing them up? I mean, it's incredibly annoying. <laughs> Wow. I hope the the good people at Facebook are not listening to I, this. Brutal. Well, um, no, I mean, Jeremy, I think your, yeah. point, your point is interesting that VR is maybe not the thing to do. It. I mean, I can imagine an augmented reality thing. So I think part of what concerns Facebook is Apple's all in on AR, so they need to have a story, and this is their story. It's just not a good story. Their story can't be making people meet in the world of Captain Planet, though. It's just rubbish. I mean, it. Even if you look at films, right? So you know the bit at the end of whichever Avengers film it is where Nick Fury is standing there and the World Council are all surrounding him um, in a meeting and they're all sort of holograms or something, which is obviously made up science fiction technology and that still looks like a crap way to have a meeting. And we can't even do that yet. So even if you had that, yeah. it would be bad. And we utterly don't have that. What you've got to have is some kind of enormous helmet on your head. Well, it's it's interesting as well because from talking to my friend who who is the VR ultra nerd, and he was he was saying, you know, for example, it made sense that they actually went with these cartoony figures because a lot of people think that to do VR well, you need photorealism in the characters. And he said most people are just not actually looking for that. No, what people are really looking uncanny for uncanny valley right there. You 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 uncanny right. valley your way into nightmares. Yeah, exactly. And he said, what 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 unnerves people mostly is the eyes like you want to make sure that you've got accurate eye tracking and the avatars inside of the virtual world and he said as well things like if you enable people to move around like in a 3d video game um if you do that in vr people get motion sick so that's one of the reasons why they probably selected to just stay put so they've probably designed it with some drawing legs is really hard which is why no one does legs there's um there's something called i can't think of the name of it the cooler looking alternate spatial which has it's still cartoony but it's a lot less cartoony it's much more like um the people look like well painted versions of themselves rather than like Mm. 90 cgi cartoons but even then it's like everyone's walking around in mist up to their waists because drawing legs is hard yeah exactly (laughs) i mean i think it's just it's a harder issue in my mind, like, and when that's why I wonder whether AR will end up becoming like, I can completely see six people being sat in an office with AR glasses on, but then what's rendered in that room, everybody's looking at the same thing. That makes sense because then you're not taken out of reality, like Jeremy was saying. Um, but everybody's seen something digital in the room together. But for remote workers sitting inside of a virtual space, it just, I'm not convinced by it. No. Um, so anyway, we'll see. I think they will ultimately be unsuccessful, but they will move VR forward. Is my oh, I mean, oh. favorable? Interesting. Um, I mean, I would be interested to hear from your mate or anybody else whether the idea of putting on a pair of glasses, which just seemed like a pair of sunglasses rather than a massive helmet, is that absolute science fiction, or is that something where people are plausibly getting closer to it? Right. I mean, you think that the miniaturization thing will eventually happen. The question is going to be, you've got to be able to cut out everything around your eyes, right? Um, so yeah. I imagine that you'll probably, you know, you know, you know, when you go to the dentist and they put those little sunglasses on you, if you're going to get squirted with water or yep. when they put that big light in front of you, oh, I wonder right, if we'll yeah. get to a point where you, where you put those glasses on and they're VR. I mean, so, that, that's, I that sounds okay. Better than, you know, Geordie LaForge visor let alone the enormous inflated Oculus helmet that you get at the moment. Right. Yeah. So, and then there's also the question around tactile. Like, you know, if you're pushing a thing in 3D space, there's no tactile feedback. Yeah. Well, not enough tactile feedback. As far as I can tell, the idea of being able to do that is science fiction right now. Being able to reach out to a thing and have it feel like it's a real thing that's there. No one's even particularly close to that. You can you can have tactile feedback in the same way that, you know, your PlayStation 5 controller vibrates when you drive over something, but that's not actually yeah. the same thing. Making people no, believe there's, yeah. there's a thing there by having the 
Nintendo Power Glove they're wearing push on their fingers in the right places is not even close to being doable at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, be what's next, Jeremy? Do you have anything you want to dig into today? So I didn't actually put this in the uh, agenda, but I was Ooh, planning to cover it. Speaking of 48-page research studies, did either of you read the entire Ars Technica piece on the, as Stuart put it, excellently detailed, albeit mildly depressing, summary of uh, Google's messaging app history? I did. It's, no. it's brilliant. I, I, it's really good. <laughs> it's so long. Yeah, I read the whole thing. I did not. I skimmed, and I had forgotten about a couple of these. But wow, what a what a journey! So it's it's uh, it's depressing. (laughs) I've not read this, uh, but just reading the table of contents is depressing. (laughs) I mean, about half of them I'd forgotten about, and there were a couple in there that I didn't even know about, but. What's more interesting is just this tour through, I mean, we've been going on about Google inventing new messaging apps for years, as have literally everybody else. But it's really interesting to see the conclusions that the author, who is Ron Amadeo for Ars Technica, um, the conclusions he draws about why this happens strategically inside Google, as as part of cantering through the, I mean, this is an eight-page long list of the 30? Should, 25? I was going to say, should like we that? read them? Yeah. Let's yeah, read, read them all read, out. Read, read the names. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So from uh, 2005 is the starting point. It is Google Talk, Google Voice, Google Wave, Google Buzz, Slides Disco, which I do not remember, which only lasted one year, 2011, uh, Google Plus, and they do Google Plus Hangouts, Google Plus Huddle, uh, Google Docs Editor Chat, which I also don't remember, Google Hangouts, Google Spaces, Google Allo, Google Duo, uh, Google Hangouts Meet, YouTube Messages, which I forgot about, uh, Google Parenthetical Hangouts Chat, Google Maps Messages, uh, RCS, which they're including here, Photos Messages, Stadia Messages, Pay Messages, Assistant Messages, the regular messenger, and Google Chat Part 2. And And the finale is just... Is there anyone in charge at Google? Charge at Google. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the answer, and, you know, not to spoil the conclusion, but the answer is no. No, there isn't. They have no messaging strategy, and there is no one in charge of the messaging strategy they don't have. Well, they have the next person that wants to get promoted to SVP is what they have. Yeah. Yeah, they have someone in the, – the problem is they have people in charge. They've just got 10 people in charge, all of which are building uh, communication applications oh, no, no, at the no, same see, time. That's, no, that, that's the thing. They don't have anyone in charge of messaging as a concept. No, no they don't have a single person for sure. No, yeah. we, 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 which means that if whoever empties the bins at Google goes, what we need is bin messaging – then they just apply for it. And no one goes, no, that's a wrong idea. It doesn't fit in with our messaging strategy because they've got a messaging strategy. I'm curious what Gtalk would look like with 16 years of iteration on it. Because I think Gtalk, the experience, was very good. Yeah. Yep. So I'm definitely and, I mean, genuinely this- curious what 16 years of building on that would have looked like. But I think they'd be ahead of almost all of them, WhatsApp and, and Telegram. And like, uh, no reason they shouldn't uh- be. The stuff that I found really interesting through the read through this, other than the fact that it's just very well written and quite enjoyable and <laughs> to read through. So, you know, set aside an hour at some point when you were going to read a book and read this. It's just really good. Good, good tech journalism. Well done, Ron Amadeo. But I found it really interesting that first of all, when Google Talk first came out, you will remember this, this is, it was XMPP based yep. And, yep. and would federate with all the other chats and everything. And that quietly got kicked out the door. But up until, very recently, a load of stuff was based on XMPP stuff inside Google, even though it wasn't part of the XMPP network. So, um, uh, push notifications to phones, uh, which for a long was, time was XMPP. Which, 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 which was um, which was originally based on Google Talk, and then it became Firebase Cloud Messaging, or whatever. But it's still XMPP, and I'm like, what? Really? I think all of Google Buzz was XMPP too, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just startling how much of this stuff. One of the funniest things in this, they had seven messaging products before iMessage was ever released. Well, yeah, that was the other thing that um in the in the contents uh, uh, 
uh, the table of contents of this article, it points out when iMessage and WhatsApp were created. And both of them happened after Google got into this game and have grown to dominate the universe and Google are nowhere. Right. And man, you think they, I wish, well, yeah, what I wish is that Google talk was good. Well, when was the last time Google did a new service you thought was good? Because well, I that's remember a good all of their all of their services from like the mid two thousands, I thought were great. Gmail was great. Google Talk was great. Um, Reader was great. Oh, Reader, bring back Reader. Reader, Reader was great. You know, being able to type in um a thing to search for and getting results that were relevant was also great. Because <laughs> Alta, Alta Vista could match that. Google Search as a service was a good thing. But when was the last time they did a thing and you went, that was cool? Google Photos. Okay, yeah, no, I'll give you that. Yeah, Google Photos. Yes, Google the, Photos the, the is last good. One for me, the last one for me that really excited me and I was genuinely disappointed when it went, when it went away was Inbox. I remember you liking Inbox, yes. Um, yeah, and I... And, and I you I, did like Inbox. Yeah, and I, and I was a very happy Inbox user. I mean, it's the only reason why you're superhuman now um, is because... I just like a really uncluttered UI for email. Um, and they did, I think they did a great job with it. But, you know, we've already talked about the Google graveyard multiple times. But we have. What is interesting is you mentioned iMessage. In all credit to, to Apple, one of the, before I got an iPhone, I don't know if you experienced this, Ack, but one of the major reasons why people told me that they love their iPhones was because of iMessage. And it's devilishly simple to use. Yeah. It's not complicated at all. But people love that. As long as you're um it will be interesting that we'll ha- we'll have a chat in three or four years. Um next time you switch back to an Android phone to try it out or whatever, to see how right. you feel when you have to extricate yourself back out of iMessage again. When you send oh, people I believe when, that. when you send people messages and they don't get them. Um, or the, or you don't receive them, and you have to go and sign into an Apple website and type stuff in to clear it out of their account. It's just, it's it's an Apple product in that it works well with other Apple products, and it works haltingly yeah. at best with anyone who's not fully bought in. Do Do you have an RCS opinion? Because Google has kind of bullied their way into being the back end for RCS in a very opaque and odd way. Okay, here is my opinion about RCS. Until I read this thing about from Ars Technica, I never heard of it. Really? Yeah, I had. Yeah, what is I, it? I had. It's basically SMS, the next generation. Yep. Okay. Um, I didn't even know it was a thing. It sounds like a terrible TV show. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> the impression I have is that um, it's a thing thought up by carriers, right? Which means it's gonna be terrible and it's going to be full of a whole bunch of um agreements that people have to sign in order to find out how to implement it and stuff like this right anything that anything that phone vendors and phone networks think up is a disaster but it's that but no one's adopting it it's like all these people trying to invent the next version of irc not by going the next version of IRC is WhatsApp or Slack or whatever, but by saying, let's make IRC protocol version two or version three or version four, whichever one it would be, I forget. Yeah, um, yeah. And no one, yeah, you've got a bunch of people sitting around theorizing about it, but no one's actually rolling stuff out. No one's moving to it and there's no push for adoption. That, as far as I can tell, is what RCS is. But Jeremy, you know about this stuff, so explain I, RCS. I mean, it's, uh, that's, a whole, <laughs> that's a whole segment. I was just curious if you had a hot take. I... I'd never even heard of it. I'm like, wow, this thing exists. Do you know if it is it a US thing or does it work everywhere? So Google Messenger is built on it. I don't think it's a US thing, but maybe that's why I know about it and and you don't, I guess. Uh, I know T-Mobile and Verizon have begrudgingly allowed it on their networks more than (laughs) are are leading the charge. But I think the idea is that any, in theory, any SMS app could roughly be iMessage. If oh, if they right. have implement okay. RCS, so it can do end-to-end encryption, it can do large pictures, it can do a lot of the things that SMS and MMS are not good at. <laughs> so um, it was invented by the GSMA, right? Which means it's terrible. Um, uh, collectively agreed more than ten years ago, replace SMS. They 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 didn't even come up with a universal profile that lets everyone implement it until twenty sixteen. Yeah, well, it's um, been slow moving. 
Oh, uh, what a surprise. Um, I should be able to activate it without much effort in the UK or France, apparently. Um, and you can turn it on in the US with Google Messages. Yeah. Vodafone supports it. Three support it. Hey, my phone company supports it. So I should go. be able to, uh, I'll read about that. Um, but I don't know what happens if you send RCS messages to people who can't receive RCS messages. Do they, is this like sending it just emails back to, to SMS? Right, so this is like sending text HTML emails to people who just get the text plain version. Yes. Well, that sounds right. But yeah, phone people, tell us why we should all be rushing to adopt RCS or whether no one cares and everyone just uses WhatsApp these days. Yep. <clears throat> I, I, I'm very excited by this conversation. I'm very sad that we're going to have to move on. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah, we, 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 couldn't, we couldn't talk to you about it because you can only receive messages from other people with iPhones, can't you? Um, so... <laughs> Um, Actually, I do remember when I first got my iPhone, there was an issue with something to do with sending messages to Android devices. And it, but it wasn't all Android devices, it was some. I forget yeah, what it was. I, I, but, I've yeah. never managed to... I just remember there being problems when I've switched away from iPhones back to Android, or when I've switched from Android back to iPhones or whatever. Right. Yep. Really um, so, here is the thing that um, I want to bring up, but it's it's potentially a much bigger thing, um, but this is just a, a, okay. a, a quick hit. So in the UK, um, uh, they are discussing a thing called the Online Harms Bill, intended to become the Online Harms Act. To, um, now is not the place to discuss this bill, which is um, destined to control a whole bunch of the way technology works in the UK and your access to technology and your access to the internet and so on and so forth. Um, uh, it should be maybe a whole show, but I don't know if it's an interesting show because it's something where it's like a discussion about healthcare insurance, right? In the US, everyone outside that country listens to it and goes, Wow, man, that sounds terrible. I'm glad I don't have to deal with that. And then doesn't listen to the rest of the show. And that's what the online right. arms bill would be for people who don't live in the UK. But one of the things I thought was interesting, and I'll be interested in getting your take on it, is they're trying to come up with a way where they can say, well, obviously journalists are allowed to talk about stuff because they're journalists. But people who aren't journalists, right, they don't get some kind of special carve out for stuff. And so people say, so, but what's a journalist? And I see, Can we take a step back? So this yeah, online right. safety bill, I don't quite. What is it like? What are they thinking? What What is the point of this? I don't. Well, quite okay, so so the point of the point of the bill, if you are um, a Tory in government, is to say too many people can look at harmful content on the internet, whether that's um, pornography or uh, racist material or things that are in politically inflammatory or whatever um we need to put a stop to that and so they're coming up with a bunch of stuff which and you could probably recite a lot of the objections to it but things like um you should have to register with your government issued id to see pornography for example which obviously a whole bunch of people have a problem with um and but the, yeah, the 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 goal of the <laughs> bill is to um it's aimed at shielding internet users from harmful content. I don't understand the circular definition was the most confusing thing. Th this is from the article. In the draft le uh, legislation, the UK government said that the most popular platforms, which will be categorized as Category 1, which would be Facebook and Twitter, will be required to safeguard all journalistic material, which is what you said. Yeah. Posts will be, be will be deemed, quote-unquote, journalistic content if they, quote, are generated for the purpose of journalism. Yeah. The, what, that, and I, and the, reason, the reason I bring this up is because they want to do a bunch of, you're not allowed to write about this stuff because we want to keep it off the internet. Now, whether you agree with the list of things they don't want people to write about or see or whatever, leave that to one side. The point is, they just want to say, you're not allowed to do this. But, equally, then people say, well, we want to report about this. We want to talk about this and not have journalists thrown in prison because then you look like North Korea, right? And they've gone, right. oh, yeah, okay, so you'll be allowed to. We'll, we'll have an exemption for journalists. At which point, Literally everyone has said, how do you define a journalist? Right? Because it better not look like if you've got, if you work for the Times, 
you're a journalist, and if you're reporting on your local area for your blog, you're definitely not going to prison for writing about stuff. That would look really bad. <laughs> and the National Union journalists are like, here's the deal. You're not allowed to come up with laws which define who are journalists and who aren't. Don't do it. And I'm interested in your opinion on, is this whole concept misunfounded? Is it just a bad idea or what? One question, and I appreciate this is still forming, so you might not have the answer to it, but I absolutely see um, um, a need for journalists to be in a position where they're able to uncover stories in the public interest, right? So, for example, I could imagine a journalist um, doing some undercover research into human trafficking and therefore going to solicit a prostitute for the purposes of a piece with no intention of actually having sex with that prostitute. Um, and you don't want a journalist like that being busted with a broader mission in purpose to help reduce human trafficking or whatever else. I completely see the, the point of this. But are we talking about, does this bill, are they suggesting this will cover purely illegal things? Like, because what, what makes me deeply uncomfortable is if the uk government is basically saying well we get to decide what's right and wrong on the internet and journalists will get a pass however we define journalism but the rest of you you're fucked right so if we're talking about specifically illegal things like child pornography right if a journalist god love their soul was to uncover a child pornography ring and therefore they had to go into portions of the internet unsavory portions of the internet to do their research and they're obviously not pedophiles then that to me is quite reasonable but if we're basically saying well you know the uk government doesn't like certain types of porn and therefore we've decided that's not okay and journalists get the out like where is the where is the line drawn on what this covers well part of all the discussions going on at the moment is exactly where that line will be drawn. But the thing that you have brought up is what a hell of a lot of people are worried it's going to be. That yeah. They're essentially trying to define a test, which is, yeah, we know bad things when we see them. Um, And it's like, yeah, what a 55-year-old Tory white minister man thinks is a bad thing is maybe not what everyone thinks and you shouldn't get to decide. So to give you an example, right, and I'm enlarging on an example from Heather Burns, but to be clear, this is not Heather Burns' example, right? You Sorry, can imagine who's Heather Burns? She is she's policy manager at the Open Rights Group. But she's a okay, okay. but she she's a commentator, she's web dev law on Twitter. But I am taking an example that she gave and changing it for my own purposes. So don't shout at her about this. But she's really smart. Fair enough. You, yep. You should follow her anyway. But imagine I can Im so imagine a situation in which um the rules say you're not allowed to put up videos of people dying. Right? That's harmful content for people to watch. We want to suppress that. We don't want snuff material. That's a really bad idea. So you shouldn't be able to put up a video of someone dying on social media. And we should be able to take that down as harmful content. And you can see people yep. going, okay, yeah, I'll buy that argument. And then you say, but what if the person who was dying was George Floyd? Yep. Right? And then, so... Burns's example is to quote her. She says, and she wasn't she wasn't mentioning Floyd at all specifically, but she says, I can easily see a situation arising where, for example, a young woman walking to a shop films a police officer holding his knee on a man's neck, and a regulator under government pressure orders that video to be pulled off social media sites on the grounds the young woman was not an accredited journalist, and the violent video constitutes subjectively yeah, exactly. harmful content. Exactly. Right. So this whole idea to me. Seems like a complete disaster, but I'm basically coming to you two for a reality check where I go, am I just over-exaggerating this thing, which I have on occasion in the past done? And so, and you've been very good at pointing out that I'm just, you know, being all hysterical about it for no reason. So, <laughs> is, is this as bad as it sounds? It sounds really bad to me. One thing that underpins this, from my perspective, and then I want to hear what Jeremy has to say, is that one thing that's been fascinating about moving from the UK to America, and I moved 13 years ago, is seeing England and the well, the, the broader UK, um, through a very different lens from when I lived there. 
And this might sound in itself like a bit of a hysterical statement, but it boggles my mind the attempts of the government to surveil the people who live there and to try and monitor and and track what everybody does. Now, I appreciate we live in oh, well, I live in America, and it's like fucking freedom, 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 eagles, eagles, <laughs> yeah. Budweiser, freedom. Okay, <laughs> but you know, I think that. This is just another example of it. It's just another way of chipping away at it. And I think your concerns are quite rightful. <laughs> and what Heather says, or how you were paraphrasing it, is is rightful as well. Like, things like the George Floyd video should be surfaced, right? For yeah. the purposes of change. Um, I just, my view is like, the internet, if something's clearly illegal, then, uh, like, child porn is a good example. Like, I'd, everybody believes in their right mind that that shit shouldn't be allowed on the internet. Um, but I think there there are cases where you need to enable whistleblowing and you need to enable, like, you need to enable the right kind of story to get out there, right? So, I don't know. What do you think, Jeremy? I, I think anytime you're trying to define journalism as something intended to, to be journalistic is, like, you, you've, you've already failed. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I think that's the thing. It's... Um, at the very core, there's a kind of good idea, but yeah, I, I, I think there's a worm that eats into people's brains when they get into government, right? <laughs> where you where you say, "I've got this idea, the world should be this way," and everyone says, "Yeah, that would be great," but it's just not possible to do that, right? There's a whole bunch of reasons why it just won't work, um, and. These new government people will then say, because of the worm, will then say, ah, it's not impossible, you're just a bit of a naysayer, and I bet we can do it. It's the same thing that created things like the clipper chip stuff. You remember 25 years ago when you've got Matt Blaze standing there going, it's not possible for you to make a thing where you have a key and the government has a key and it's all still secure. It just can't be done. Stop thinking it can be done. It can't be done. And a whole bunch of government people are like, well, He's just some guy complaining about it, but if we if we approach this with forthrightness, we'll be able to power through. It's like it's not a question of dedication to the cause. It isn't possible. Stop thinking it yeah. is. And this, the idea of saying we want to prevent people from seeing hurtful things on the internet. I mean, fine, there are a bunch of free speech absolutists out there who'll be like, ah, that in itself is a wrong thing to think. But I think the people originally coming up with this concept, their hearts are in the right place. Yeah, I'd agree. But I'd agree. The first time everyone says, yeah, but what you want is not possible. What we have to do is work out how to mitigate the damage and how to um, attempt to protect those who are most affected by this first. And you're not allowed to do this by vesting all power in yourself to make decisions. So it's not possible. They should go, okay, it's not possible. And they haven't done that. They've just pushed on. And so you end up with things like people say, well, but journalists have a legitimate reason to report on stuff. You go, okay, you're allowed to if you're a journalist. And they say, well, what's a journalist? Like, okay, let's define what journalist is in a way that can't be abused. And it's, you know, you can't have someone going, oh, but I'm a journalist, so it's allowed. But equally, some people are going, yeah, but I'm a journalist, <laughs> so I'm allowed. <laughs> You know, the two things you'll never be able to stop, and that is going to be the internet and technological innovation. We've talked about this a whole bunch on the show. We like, have. I can't remember. <laughs> what, what, what did we chat about a little while back where we were talking about restricting technology? It's like... Uh, we, it, we, it we, we, we were talking about the idea that um, if you are scientists or computer scientists or whatever, and you come up with a thing, there ought to be someone on the planning meeting where you say, let's start investigating this, who says, if we manage to find this thing successfully, are people going to misuse it? And then you actually oh, have right. yeah. that discussion at the beginning of the project. Even if you decide we're okay with the risk of someone misusing facial recognition or GPT-3 or um, machines that let you vaporize anyone who disagrees with you, at least you should have a discussion about it. That was a big yeah. jump from GPT-3. <laughs> yeah. right. I'm, I'm coming up with ideas on the spot here. Man. I, 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 <laughs> if I had a better time to workshop it, I'd have come up with a, a better ascending thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, it does It does worry me that this there is a constant effort to restrict and track people. 
over there. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, but I agree. I also agree with you, Act, that like, you know, I think these intentions are honorable. I think they're good. There will be some bad actors in there who will be wanting to control. But I think the idea of providing a safer internet is a good thing. Yeah, so I, mean, I, I just don't I, know how I, possible I, it is. I, I think there's an awful lot of people who have used this as an excuse to implement stuff that they want to implement, which is not towards that goal, although they would claim it is. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's just not doable. <laughs> yeah. So, should we squeeze one more in? Have we got, have we got a quick one? As we're coming up uh, on time. So, <laughs> I'm curious if this has happened to either of you because it hasn't happened to me, but I keep seeing people referring to it. And Twitter is going to start requiring logins to view tweets. It has not happened to me, and I've checked. Um, it was reported on Reddit, and um, it sounds very plausible. But I have tested a few times uh, in uh, in incognito windows and so on to see if Twitter have started doing this, and they haven't to me at least. I'm just checking now. If they do, what do you think? Um, I think it's I, bad. I, I, think, I think it's a terrible idea. I don't understand what's going to happen um, uh, to embedded tweets in news articles. Mm. Um, because, well, we have gone from a world in which um, you couldn't embed tweets to in which tweets can be embedded in things to how basically every news article that's ever published now either has a tweet embedded in it or is about the tweet that's embedded in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I do not know what happens if I'm assuming they're not all going to stop working because that would be moronic on a scale difficult to express in words on Twitter's part. So yeah. If they're going to keep working, then it's not really been secured off, but it just breaks links to it. And it's just infuriating by Twitter if they're doing it. So you, I, you know what you need, you need to do, Mr. Langridge, is you, as we stand today, is the, as the resident developer on the team, you need to go and write a bit of software where you can feed it a bunch of web pages with news articles and whenever it detects a tweet in there it takes a screenshot of it and updates the the, the blog post there's going to be thousands of blog posts are going to break and well, articles are going to break I, d- I don't think they're going to break embedded tweets because that would be idiotic and and it would be well, really publicly obviously idiotic too and everyone will blame twitter for but it. even just making you log in to view tweets would be just as idiotic from a growth perspective I- i'm guessing this is yeah. one of those things where someone thought they were making a data driven decision and someone said we want more signups <laughs> and they didn't understand the value of what the company offers and we're like well here's yes. the thing we could do to drive more signups while eroding yep. trust destroying value and causing frustration that causes people to actually leave the platform. This is also us. the first rule of of all ecosystems. Let anyone view it. You sign up to post. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Um, <laughs> well, tell that to, tell about- that to Quora. Oh, <laughs> right. they're so annoying. Um, they are so annoying. Um, although, um, so a couple of a couple of pro tips here um, for you people. If you find yourself um, uh, wishing to view a website which won't let you view it unless you log in, then if you change your user agent to be the Google bot, you'll be able to see it because no one blocks Google from seeing stuff. Despite the fact that Google specifically disallow you from doing this thing, everyone allows the Google bot to view pages that you have to log in to see, you pathetic peon. And secondly, that- if you run uh, into it, yeah, it's true. Man. Most sites use IP sets now for that. Because yeah, Google yeah. releases the IPs that the bot will come from. Yeah, so they can just so they can just allow it from the Google IP for exactly this reason. But okay. But the second thing is, um, if Twitter actually do do this, then you might want to look at nitter.net, N-I-T-T-E-R.net. Just take a Twitter URL and replace twitter.com with nitter.net, and you get a stripped down, no JavaScript, um, plain, quick to load version of that Twitter page. It's like Twitter was fifteen years ago. What was that again? N-I-T-E-R dot net? N-I-T-T-E-R dot net. Oh, T-T. Okay. The thing that's interesting here is I've seen more and more municipalities and other agencies using Twitter to disseminate information. And if you can't get that information without being logged in, I'm curious what the ramifications will be like from a government perspective. I wonder um, how much of this is Twitter AB testing the idea of doing this. And intentionally letting get out. This is some kind of twenty first version of a leak, right? Instead, instead of instead of um, briefing someone at the New York Times off the record, you just 
do it to 0.2% of your population. Wait for it to show up on Reddit or 8chan or something and then filter its way into the discourse. Um, with the intention of seeing how much pushback there's going to be. Yeah. I mean, I would like to believe that people don't think like that, but I think that they do. I think maybe that they do. Yep. I agree. Well, on that bombshell, we're out of time. Uh, everybody who's listening, Go and let us know what you think in our community. We'd always love to hear what your thoughts. We've covered we've covered not as much ground, but all of the ground that we did cover was in detail, I think, is the best <laughs> yes. way of describing it. You see, we're so, not good at this yeah. whole news thing where you talk about a thing for three minutes and then you move on. There were like 15 minutes of pace. What, what we need is a maybe, I don't know, six-second, let's go with, timer that just buzzes aggressively, and then we have to move on. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Maybe we'll do that at a bad voltage live one time. Oh, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll be able to do a bad voltage live at some point. I think it's probably going to be uh, 2022 by this time. Yeah, keep yeah. your eye out. Keep your eye out Excellent. in 2022 for bad voltage live. Yeah, and boy, will it be a party! So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else, chaps? Before we peace out of this place? No, no I think that's it. Thanks for listening. Peace out. People who are assholes online are that way because they're assholes. <laughs>